The first reading for this, the fifth Sunday in Easter, is taken from the book of Acts, the eighth chapter. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what it is that you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the second reading is from 1 John, the fourth chapter. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into this world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is Psalm 90, a psalm written by Moses, and we read, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our living and triumphant Lord and Savior, dear friends in Christ. These words composed by Moses near the end of the 40-year wilderness journey are sobering. They may 
be even more sobering than the tragic news that assaults us every day. I mean, what images come to mind as you hear these words of Psalm 90? Do you visualize the homeless and the starving masses around the world? Do you picture the graves of men and women and children who have been killed because of internal civil war? Do you imagine a young child sick in a children's hospital battling a chronic or terminal illness? Do you envision an elderly person lying in a nursing home bed with dementia setting in, praying for the Lord to take her home? Psalm 90 states bluntly the frailty and the terminal reality of human life. How do we cope with the fragility and the lethal nature of life? How do we manage death's ominous presence? Newsweek magazine published an article about five years ago entitled, Silicon Valley is trying to make humans immortal and finding some success. The article recounts how Peter Thiel, the billionaire co-founder of PayPal, plans to live to be 120. Dmitry Itzkov, the godfather of the Russian internet, says his goal is to live to be 10,000 years old. Larry Ellison, co-founder of Oracle, finds the notion of accepting mortality incomprehensible. And Sergey Brin, the co-founder of Google, hopes to someday cure death. Thiel, for example, has gifted $3.5 million to the Methuselah Foundation, an organization devoted to finding drugs that cure seven types of age-related damage, especially focused on aging caused by malfunctioning cells. Now, their actions are a little extreme. But do we not also try to turn back the clock? Vitamins, exercise, facial creams, health diets are just a few examples. Do we not attempt to give death a cosmetic makeover? I mean, we dress the corpse in clothes, we apply some makeup to make the deceased look ageless, and we lay the remains of a person in a polished casket. Funerals are called celebrations of life, and held in facilities that rival five-star hotels in terms of their attention to service and decor. Euthanasia advocates chant, death with dignity, and shout, they're better off dead than alive. That's the compassionate thing to do. These are just a few of our feeble attempts to sugarcoat death's foul smell. Well, the psalmist doesn't sugarcoat the frailty of life. Moses writes, You, Lord, turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. Death is inevitable. It's inevitable for all of us. From the moment that we are conceived in the womb, the march to the tomb begins 
And even for some preborn children, they never make it out of the womb to life in this world. And making our life on earth even more burdensome is knowing that we sin against God daily. The fear, the remorse, the shame that accompanies our disobedience is is fatiguing. Moses writes, We're consumed by your anger and we're terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities, our sin before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath and we finish our years with a moan. Flanders Field American Cemetery Memorial is a United States military cemetery in Belgium. It was named after the poem in Flanders Field that was written by a Canadian physician, a Lieutenant Colonel John McRae. The cemetery commemorates 411 service members of the United States Armed Forces who died in World War I, of which 368 are interred. These soldiers were filled with strength and life. They had a lifetime of hopes and dreams. They dreamed of love, of marriage, children, grandchildren, having a career. But their life was swept away. Swept away on a fateful day when their life suddenly came to a tragic end on Flanders Field. The legacy of these soldiers and thousands of other fighting men and women who died in the battles at Flanders Field is penned in those famous words of John McRae when he wrote, We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, we felt dawn, we saw a sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Fields. Most of us will not die such an abrupt death like these soldiers did. But whether the length of our days is 70 years or 80 years, if we have the strength, their span is but trouble and sorrow. For our days quickly pass away and we fly away. Yes, by the end of our life, we are exhausted, especially if we make it to 70 or 80 or 90 In the words of T.S. Eliot's Hollow Men, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. Or in the words of Moses in our text, we finish our life with a moan. Life on earth is fleeting. It's time limited. Therefore, we desire to cherish and make the most of each day. With the psalmist, we pray, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Have you had the opportunity to visit the Vietnam Veterans Memorial? It is striking for its simplicity. Etched in a black granite wall are the names of 58,156 Americans who died in that war. Since opening in 1982, that stark monument has stirred deep emotions. Some visitors walk its length slowly, reverently, and without pause. Others stop before certain names, remembering their son, their sweetheart, their sibling, or fellow soldier. And you can see people wiping away tears and others tracing the names with their fingers. For three Vietnam vets, 
Robert Betker, William Craig, and Darrell H. A visit to the memorial must be especially moving, for they can walk along that long ebony wall and find their own names carved into the stone. Because of data coding errors, each of them was incorrectly listed as killed in action. Now, do you think if we were to interview these three men that we would find that they have a a unique appreciation for the cherished gift of time that they were given that all of those other people were not given? Every second of every day, of every month, of every year is precious. I know that's not how we generally think of it. So much of life is just routine. It's mundane. Life is humdrum. Life is a grind. Life is tiring. Life is exhausting. And days they melt into weeks, and weeks melt into years, and years melt into decades. And before we know it, we look back on our life and we wonder, where did all those years go? But every day on earth that the Lord gives us is a gift. The Roman Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton appreciates life's ordinary events maybe a little bit differently than most of us. He writes, you may say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the concert and before the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing and grace before I dip the pen in ink. There's a man who appreciates every moment of every day of his life. The Celtic missionaries understood the preciousness and value of life too. This is often reflected in the prayers that they composed, and here's one such prayer. I arise today through the mighty strength, God's power to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's eyes to watch over me, God's ears to hear me, God's word to give me speech, and God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, and God's shield to shelter me, God's host to secure me. Despite all of the trouble and heartache that we have in this life, there really is much joy and peace in the everyday gifts of creation. Sun, food, drink, clothes, precious metals, house, employment, friends, spouse, children, music, civil government, education, the functioning of our bodies, The list could go on, couldn't it? They're all signs of God's goodness and his steadfast love for his creation, for those who worship him and even for those who don't. Commenting on Psalm 118, verse 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Martin Luther says, and I quote, This verse should be in the heart and the mouth of every person, every day and every moment. Every time he eats and drinks, sees, hears, smells, walks, stands, every time he uses his limbs, his body, and his possessions, he should recall that if God did not give him all of this for his use and preserve it for him, he would not have it. 
And so ponder. Ponder this day the gifts of creation that God gives you in your own life. As ordinary and as normal as many of these daily gifts may be, are they not a sign of God's goodness and steadfast love for you? Do you not sometimes find yourself thinking of those words from Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His love really does endure forever. Life is good. Life is fulfilling. This is especially so when we live in God's unfailing love. The psalmist writes, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all the days of our life. God's unfailing love, his goodness and mercy, is experienced most fully in this life and in, for all eternity in the person of our Savior Jesus Christ and the relationship that the Holy Spirit establishes with us through baptism and through his word. In Christ, we are assured that God is not wrathful or revengeful, but long-suffering and compassionate and forgiving. We heard this in the first reading for today when St. John wrote, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into this world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. You see, we're not orphans. We're children of the Heavenly Father. God is not distant and disinterested in us, but he is our refuge and our strength. As Moses said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. And so we live each day knowing that heaven is our ultimate home. Well, it's not that we don't enjoy life here on earth because we've seen these are blessings of God that God gives to us, but we ultimately know that heaven, eternal life with our Lord, is our home. St. Paul says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live through him or live with him. The eternal one, the one who is everlasting and everlasting, he entered time in the person of Jesus Christ. The writer of the Hebrews says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In the hymn that I learned as a child and sang in my Sunday school, children of our Heavenly Father. We sing, Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. Unto them his grace he showeth, and their sorrows all he knoweth. Yes, the Lord knows the sorrows, and he holds before our eyes the one who gives us hope and healing, and that is Jesus Christ. Living in God's forgiveness in Christ and certain of everlasting life with our Lord, we can live life with a bounce in our step. We can live life with Christmas morning excitement as we unwrap the gift of life each and every day. We may experience loss in that day 
And yet, even in the midst of that loss, the love of God ever abides with us. We may grieve losses that we, that we experience in life, and we will experience many, many losses throughout our life. But as we experience those losses, we do not experience them as people who have no hope. For we know that Jesus lives. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And so we anticipate heaven. Winston Churchill planned his own funeral, which took place in St. Paul's Cathedral. He, concluded, he, he, he included in that service many magnificent hymns and the eloquent Anglican liturgy. At his direction, a bugler, positioned high up in the dome of the cathedral, intoned after the benediction the sound of taps, the universal signal that the day is over. But then comes the most dramatic turn. As Churchill had instructed, as soon as taps was finished, another bugler, placed on the other side of the great dome, played the note of reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. And that was Churchill's testimony that at the end of a Christian's life, at the end of time when Jesus Christ returns in glory and our bodies are raised from death to life, the last note will not be taps. It will be reveille. During our life, there are days and there are even seasons of life that are like taps. But in Christ, we have forgiveness. In Christ, we have life. In Christ, we have salvation. In Christ, we have joy. In Christ, we have peace. In Christ, we have hope. So when we're experiencing the frailty of life, and death. The reality of life gifted to us by our Lord Jesus Christ is reveille. Can you hear it? It's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up in the morning. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.